This is Galatians, Lesson 2, The Gentile Problem, and this is for October 12, 2008. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have clear, given us a clear revelation of yourself. Father, teach us to treat your word uh, with uh, reverence, and Father, with the agreement that we will obey what you say. Father, open your words to us this morning, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Lord our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and, and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know that your name and know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you. Lord our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Uh, we're continuing uh, our study of Galatians. Last week uh, we looked at um, this, uh, the fact that God had called and had always planned to call the, all nations to him through his servant Israel. We saw that uh, his servant Israel was given. Israel was given the uh, the Torah as uh, good laws, which which in fact not only managed uh, their relationship with God and their fellow Israelite, but also drew the nations to them. We saw also that he uh, he called his servant, as it says in uh, Isaiah, his servant um, Israel uh, to draw all nations to him. And then that we see that uh, it is speaking specifically also as the chief representative for Israel, and that is Messiah himself. Uh, so the word, uh, uh, the word became flesh. The, uh, the living Torah himself draws all nations, all peoples, uh, to God. Um, so to, uh, today we're going to look at, is, uh, and we, we, those of you who have done the study, the homework, uh, we're going to look at this, uh, this issue of the Gentile problem. Having this massive influx of Gentiles in the time uh, just before the first century and the first century into Judaism repre- uh, presented great uh, and significant biblical problems for, uh, for the people of God. After all, uh, uh, who knows where these Gentiles have been, what they've done, uh, the idolatry, have they forsaken idolatry, all these things. So that was, that's what we're looking at today. Um, this is from Leviticus 18.24. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these things nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Uh, Isaiah 52.1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. And uh, this is from the Tosefta, Sanhedrin 13.2. Rabbi Eliezer says, None of the Gentiles has a portion in the world to come. As it is said, the wicked shall return to Sheol. All the Gentiles shall forget God. And he's quoting from Psalm 9.17. Here's some questions that we need to ask as we're looking at this. Why did Jews feel the need to defend themselves from Gentile ways? Did God's plan always include Israel? Did it always include the Gentiles? Did God exclude Gentiles in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, as some people call it? If so, why? Why did he include them later? Uh, what, is being, what is it to be Jewish? Is it ethnicity? Is it cultural? Is it religious? Or is it all? Uh, before uh, 200 uh, of the Common Era, being Jewish was purely genetic. Um, it, it was not. It was not used in a cultural, or religious sense. Uh, we would use even the term Israelite if we wanted to, but specifically Jewish, uh, as that following the Babylonian captivity, those who came out of Babylon were of mixed tribes, not just Judah, uh, but they had been given because it was predominantly Judah. They had been given the the uh, the moniker Jewish. Although Judaism was the religion of Israel, the question, uh, the question of uh, religion versus ethnicity only came to be an issue uh, when the number of Gentiles was increasing, this massive influx uh, after 200 BCE, uh, particularly in the first century of the Common Era. Um, the biggest problem, however, with Gentiles, the reason why this became a problem, this massive influx, was in fact Gentile idolatry. After all, the northern tribes, 
in, in the 8th century uh, before the Common Era had been taken into captivity because, because they had so uh, engrossed themselves in the, uh, in the religions and so been assimilated uh, by the people around them that there was almost no difference between uh, Israelite of the northern, uh, northern kingdom and the, the nations, the pagan nations around them. There was almost no difference. Uh, God had taken them into captivity, into Assyria. And we see that, uh, that, that uh, in name at least, those tribes were, were, were essentially um, uh, disappear from, from history. They, they don't in reality. We know that there are numbers of these tribes that remain in the land. Uh, we see them named later in scripture. Uh, but as a, as a group, as a, as, a, um, as a collective, we see them uh, being exiled because of idolatry. In, in addition to that, the southern kingdom, be, their idolatry, the, the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, Benjamin, uh, uh, si, uh, Simeon, uh, we, see, we see them pulled into the, uh, um, into the Babylonian uh, um, exile and uh, coming back after 70 years. Uh, and it is following the 70 years, uh, this exile, this Babylonian exile, that in fact, uh, as uh, Judaism renews its revulsion uh, for all things uh, related to assimilation, um, all things relating to idolatry and pagan rites, um, they, they basically do a very good job of putting off all of these things. And, and uh, however, in it, with, with, the, with the coming of the uh, Greek uh, Empire, and the, even after the collapse of the Greek Empire, where it's division, uh, the division of the Greek Empire, uh, we see that uh, because Israel fell under that and was uh, under Greek domina- uh, domination uh, in, in the 4th and 3rd and 2nd century BCE, we see that in fact this Greek culture began to find its way and its philosophy began to find its way back into the life of some Jews in the land. It's during the time of the Maccabees, about 167 is the, is, is the, is the usual date for dating the, uh, the uh, initial revolt of the Maccabees against um, against uh, the uh, Seleucid uh, or the Greek Seleucid kingdom of Syria, uh, this this uh, time of the Maccabees, uh, we we see that in fact uh, this is the revolt is about uh, is is about rejecting Hellenism. Hellenism was about to wipe out Judaism, uh, and and uh, uh, Jews were uh, be, becoming more and more assimilated into Greek culture. We see that uh, in Jerusalem itself, during the, during the time before the Maccabees, where where there's uh, the, they're involved in Greek games and all manner of other things that would be just the antithesis of uh, what was what we see as biblical biblical faith. Um, so it was the time of the Maccabees where they actually revolted against this, and it was they were pushed to it. And this is the this is the celebration that we uh, we celebrate Hanukkah. This this very revolt, the Maccabean revolt in, in uh, 167 BCE. And uh, as, as a result, Jewish identity and, Jewish, uh, and, and Judaism was reasserted following this time of the Maccabees. In fact, the Maccabean revolt established a independent, an independent uh, Jewish state in the land for, uh, for about 100 years, not quite 100 years. And it, it was, in fact, an attempt uh, the Maccabean Revolt itself attempted to restore not only Judaism to a pure state, but also uh, a re- there was a renewed militancy against Gentiles and Gentile ways. It's ironic because that Maccabean line, uh, the Maccabees uh, end up turning into what's called the Hasmonean Dynasty. And this Hasmonean Dynasty, basically it's a kingdom, uh, it's a line of kings who come from uh, first... Uh, uh, um, Madikyahu, the the uh, the father of uh, Yehuda or Judah, uh, the Maccabee, um, the Hammer. Um, this line of kings, they're basically they're 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 from the from the Aaronic priesthood. They're not from the line of Judah. These Hasmoneans uh, become corrupt uh, within within a within a generation after after um, after the original Maccabees. Uh, they they've become corrupt. Uh, they expand uh, Israel's uh, Territory uh, rather significantly by by wars against Syria, uh, by wars against other minor nations around them. Uh, Edomian kingdom was in fact conquered during that time, uh, and it was forcibly converted to Judaism. This is where we see this blurring of the lines between ethnicity and religion. You know, before that it was only ethnic. Now all these people who uh, who were really basically Edomites. 
um, now we're, we're considered to be Jewish, and in fact, uh, we're proselytes to Judaism. It's ironic now that the first non-Jewish king of Israel, if you want to say king in quotes, because he's not really a king as far as God was concerned, and that is Herod the Great. He wasn't even Jewish. Although he was, he was technically, he was technically uh, through this Hasmonean kingdom uh, or, or dynasty, uh, his, his father Antipas had, had uh, wormed his way in by, by default, and uh, Herod was married to uh, someone from the Hasmonean, uh, was, was married to uh, a daughter of the Hasmonean uh, dynasty, and thereby he, uh, he was able to take power as king, as his father had uh, come as a governor uh, through the then Roman occupiers. So that's, uh, it's ironic that here we have this, uh, this non-Jew, um, who is technically a proselyte becomes uh, becomes to be called the king of of, uh, of the Jewish uh, people, uh, and he's a proselyte. It's because he was a proselyte, and uh, or comes from a family of proselytes, uh, and because of his great wickedness. Then this enforces the idea that that Gentiles, even ones who be, quote become Jews or convert to Judaism, could not be trusted. Uh, so this this idea this this idea of Jewish ethnicity and 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 uh, uh, was as being ethnic only was basically being erased. We see this this rather gradual move towards being Jewish as something more than simply being uh, of a father and a mother who were Jewish. Another issue with regard to Gentiles, uh, other than idolatry, was this this issue of. Uh, Ritual impurity. This is a real biblical issue, and as uh, as we study the Torah, we become very familiar with this concept. And if you don't have this background, it becomes uh, it become it can be somewhat uh, offensive uh, from our modern sensibilities uh, to to be considered these things. But they are true biblical injunctions, commands regarding uh, what some people would call clean and unclean, or what holy or profane or holy or common. Um, there's actually two sets of opposites with regard to uh, that, that were commanded regarding in, in the scriptures regarding this. Uh, the two sets of opposites. One set of opposites is uh, Kadesh or, or Kadosh. Uh, we see the, the uh, angels in Isaiah chapter 6 saying, Holy, holy, holy is, is the Lord. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. God himself is Kadosh. To be Kadesh or to be holy is to be set apart unto God. To be reserved for him and for him him only. Uh, Those things uh, that are holy. There are people that are holy. We are the holy people of God set apart unto him. It doesn't mean sinless. It means that pertaining to him and him alone. Sin is not necessarily an issue with regard to this. Although sin makes us uh, and, and puts us in a state that is not holy and that is not reserved for him it's not it's not being sinless that makes one holy it's being set apart unto God is what makes something or someone holy Kadesh is one and the opposite would be whole which would be common or profane one way of looking at this is God-centered is that those things that are God-centered are uh, Kadesh holy and th- those things that are man-centered are or common are whole uh, and it not all things that are whole by the way are 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 wrong or evil. Uh, an example would be the uh, the uh, the six days of work are whole. They're common days. They're not. Uh, in fact, we're commanded to work on them. They are. We make we make the days holy by obeying God within them. Uh, but they're not specifically named as holy days. They're uh, they're they're whole. They're common. Uh, so these two opposites. Uh, there's there's Kadesh and there's Chol. We have another set of opposites that are commonly translated clean or unclean. Those are probably bad words to use with regard to this, although sometimes you, you just have to resort to it because those are the words that come through in English. Ritually clean versus ritually impure or pure versus uh, ritually unclean. Um, but the words are actually Tahor, which is pure or clean, whole, and then there's Tameh, which is ritually unclean or <coughs> or fragmented. Another way of looking at it is those things that were pure, 
were those things that had access to God, or those people that had access to God. Those people who were Tameh, or in a state of Tameh, had a limited access to God. It didn't mean that if you were uh, Tameh, or in a state of Tameh, that you couldn't pray, or couldn't, uh, couldn't experience God as we experience Him uh, today in these times. It just meant that when you were in a state of Tameh, you could not uh, go into the temple, or the tabernacle, could not experience the very presence of God in a real and physical way. Um, Tameh, to be Tameh, and they're just states of Tahor and Tameh, are things that are, uh, things that might put you in a state of Tameh, were common things, uh, things that are just normal in life even, uh, not necessarily associated with sin, although certainly sin would make someone Tameh. Who may ascend, uh, who may ascend the to the mountain of the Lord, who may dwell in his sanctuary, one with clean hands and a pure heart, it says in, in, uh, in Psalm chapter 24. And that's what we're talking about, clean hands and a pure heart. Those things that are tahor, tahor, as opposed to those things that are tamay, to be tahor and not to be tamay. There were going to be times that everyone is tamay. There are times in our lives today we are tamay. And there are t- times when we recognize that although we do not have the ability to to reach a true state of Tahor, but there are times when we recognize that we are uh, um, going through the protocols necessary to attain that state of Tahor. Uh, we know that because of, because of contact with ritual, uh, or excuse me, because of contact with, with dead things, uh, nothing today is in the state of Tahor. Everything, to one degree or another, is in the state of Tameh. There are descending, uh, or there is a descending order of of Tameh, and there's just a few of them we talked about in our workbook. Uh, descending order. All of these things have to do with death. Those things with Tameh. So obviously, something pertaining to a, a dead body would be the worst case of Tameh. All of these have to do with Tameh. And a perfect example of that is that we're commanded in the Torah not to have trees or plant life in the in the environs in the grounds of the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, and a perfect example of uh, this, this slap in the face of the Almighty God is the Temple Mount today. The Temple Mount today, uh, with, the, uh, with not being in the control of, of the Jewish people or pious people, has uh, orchards, uh, trees planted on its top, which is a direct affront to the Torah command that there should be nothing, uh, no tree. And the reason for that is that the uh, trees... Uh, other than the fact that God simply declared it to be and commanded it, trees give off leaves, which are symbolic then of death. And we see the leaves going away in the seasons. Uh, even evergreens still show branches that uh, that die. So we have dead things in the in the environment of the tabernacle and in the, the temple. No death is permitted inside of the tabernacle, except the death of the sacrifices, the offerings that are given uh, as in worship and also as atoning for uh, the sin uh, of, of the worshiper. So death is not permitted. So when we see Tameh, it's those things that have to do with death. And here's the descending order we talked about just briefly. Contact with a dead body would be the worst form of Tameh. Leprosy would be a, a, a lesser form, but still serious. And the reason this is why you'd go through the, the town shouting, unclean, unclean, Tameh, Tameh. Here's the idea, is because you were walking death if you, if you contracted this disease. This is not Hansen's disease, but rather this is a disease uh, where uh, the, the, the death that's inside through evil speech, through hatred, comes outside, and we see it, we see it manifested in, in the outward uh, uh, skin of the, of the person. This is a disease that uh, we're not talking about, like Hansen's disease, uh, or what's called leprosy today. Uh, the next thing would be bleeding, either, either uh, men or women, uh, persistent bleeding in, in, in women, or other persistent fluid discharges in men and women. Uh, childbirth would render a woman and depending on whether it was a male child or a female child, uh, a period of time after, after childbirth, the woman was in a state of Tameh. Normal, the more, normal menstruation for women uh, puts them in a period what's called uh, separation, nida, which is a period of, uh, of state of Tameh. Uh, seminal discharge would place a man in a, and, and woman in a state of Tameh. Uh, these are these are these issues that if we go back and look in the scriptures, we can see 
quite clearly. And again, if we if we engross ourselves in the in the study of His Word, in His Torah, we find these things not to be uh, offensive or not to be um, against our sensibilities, but in fact uh, the instructions of God. Remember, what the whole issue is revolving around is access access to God in the tabernacle. That is the issue with regard to uh, holy and profane. Tameh, or Tahor and Tameh. This is from Leviticus chapter 15, which is, uh, actually has several different, several different of these, these things we've talked about. In addition to that, the protocols necessary to reach a state of Tahor. Uh, it was, it was not a matter of, of, uh, offering, offerings to enter into state of Tahor. No, you actually couldn't go offer an offering until you were in a state of Tahor. So how did you get Tahor if you became Tameh? Which happened, uh, happens throughout life. Chapter 15 of Leviticus, verse 11, starts, And whoever one of you has a discharge touches and not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean till evening. So the most repeated phrase here is, unclean till evening. He'll be tameh until evening. So the protocol to return to a state of tahor with a, with a discharge is, in fact, that wash your clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean till evening. Now, again, it's not talking about washing your skin because it was dirty, but rather to, in fact, go through a series of steps to recognize that you're no longer in a state of tameh, uncleanness, ritual impurity, but now you are in a state of tahor, that you are ready to go meet with the king, that you could go into the tabernacle and meet with the king. Now, verse 12 says, The vessel of earth which has a discharge touches shall be broken. Every vessel of wood... uh, This is verse 12. Every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. Verse 13. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days of cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in running water. There he he shall be clean. This is a a persistent discharge uh, where he shall count after that stops, count for seven days, wash clothes, bathe in water, running water, he shall be clean. Here we see a protocol that is a higher level, a higher level of... Uh, ritual impurity, and that is where it's a persistent discharge. Um, and then on the eighth day, verse 14, on the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves, two young pigeons, and come before the Lord to the, t- to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, give them to the priest. The priest shall offer them. The one is a sin offering, and the other is a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. Now this is a very serious form of, of Tameh, because it actually involves offering of offering after being clean, notice he can't enter the temple until he is clean, or the tabernacle until he's clean, uh, he, that he is tahor, but he still needs to actually even go through a, a purification process that involves offering. This is true of the woman after childbirth as well. And we read that Yeshua's own mother, Miriam, uh, in, in the book of Luke, talks about her going and, and uh, entering the temple um, a- after her time uh, was over, her time of separation was over, uh, and to be, again, restored to uh, a tahor state. Verse 16 of Leviticus 15. If any man has an omission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean till evening. So here, during, that, during the day, he could, no, could not go into the tabernacle, could not go into the temple, until he washed his, water and body, or his body with water and evening fell. Once evening fell, then he could go into the tabernacle again after that point. Uh, verse 17 and any garment and leather on which there is semen shall be washed with water and be unclean till evening here's an object that can be unclean uh, until evening after it's washed with water until evening then it would, then it would be tahor uh, if you had clothing or whatever else it had to be washed it would be unclean till evening then you could wear that clothing into the tabernacle and temple provided you yourself were in a state of tahor so here's the thing so people and things can be tameh or tahor um and verse 18, also when a woman lies with a man and there's an omission of semen, they, speaking of both of them, shall bathe in water and be unclean till evening. Again, so th- this is one of the reasons why the injunction at, at Sinai in chapter, uh, or in, in, uh, in, ex- in Exodus, when they approach Sinai and Moses says uh, that you will meet God. And he says, and, and basically for three days prior to that, they were not to have relations, husband and wife not to have relations. This, this deals with that same issue because they were going to meet God. In other words, there's an issue with regard to issues. Um, verse 19. Uh, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days. This is the normal cycle. This, is, this would be the normal menstruation. Uh, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. So here we see 
and this is this is one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about this. There's a level of of contagiousness to some forms, some forms of tame. When I say contagious, not like a disease, not like you get, you get dirty, but you have to go through a protocol in order to be declared or declare yourself as tahor, ready to go meet God. Um, in this case, the woman is unclean for seven days. She's set apart, and that is nida, that is to be separate. She's set apart for seven days, and uh, then there's a protocol for her as well to be restored as tahor, so she could go into the, into the tabernacle in the temple. And whoever touches her shall be unclean till evening. So touching, touching a, uh, uh, a, your wife during this period of time would render you unclean or to be tame until evening. And then the protocol again uh, to be uh, you know, bathed or whatever else uh, and then until evening. So these issues of, of, of clean and unclean, we can see there's degrees. Some things require more than others. Uh, a persistent issue of uh, uh, or discharge, seven days of cleansing. Then uh, 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 washing the water, and then going to the tabernacle. We see the same thing with childbirth. Well, throughout the book of Leviticus, we see these issues coming up regarding issues. Um, but there, So we see these degrees of Tameh. The issue of what is um, contagious, or that which can be transmitted, a transmission of uncleanness, is what makes this issue regarding Gentiles so important and so vital that we understand when we get into this and dig into the idea that there's a problem with Gentiles, uh, a problem that Scripture actually declares as an issue. Imagine, uh, Gentiles go through life doing whatever. I mean, they don't know about the instructions of God. Uh, a Gentile in, in the land, even living in the land, they know the instructions of God, but not necessarily following them, maybe. Or, or living outside the land, close by, uh, interacting with Jews outside of the land. Uh, no, it, every day, uh, a Gentile is going to be in a state of of tame. And uh, we didn't read it here, but contact with a dead body to, re- to be to be re- removed from a state of tame uh, after contact with a dead body is a very involved product protocol involving seven days of being set apart, involved uh, uh, immersion, uh, washing. It also involved the ashes of a red heifer, which we haven't talked about, but the ashes of the red heifer, which is why we all are today in a state of Tameh. We have no access to the ashes of the red heifer. So there's no way for us to actually return to a state of Tahor today outside of the temple without the ashes of a red heifer. So we... We, uh, but imagine in the time of the temple when it was available, or in the time of the tabernacle, Gentiles were were essentially all the time, uh, unless they were following after the God of Israel, they were always in a state of tameh. And if you didn't know where a Gentile came from, or what his what his practice was, what his faith was, uh, then you didn't know. You just knew well he's a Gentile, he's not a Jew, and so he might be tameh. And some levels of tameh are can be transmitted, can be contagious. Now, let's read from uh, Avodah Zerah in the Talmud, 37b, because it talks about this idea of what's contagious. Uh, this is uh, Avodah Zerah, uh, 37b. And that one who comes in contact with a corpse is defiled, and they call him, and they called him Joseph the Permitter. He's talking about something else here. Rather, should have been called, in this instance, Joseph the prohi- Prohibitor. Furthermore, that a corpse... corpse defiles is a biblical ordinance, okay? Here's where you're going to get into the meat of it. A, a corpse that defiles is a biblical ordinance. It's, as it is written, and whoever in an open field touches one that is slain with a sword or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. That's from Numbers chapter 19, verse 16. According to scripture, he who comes in contact with a corpse is defiled. But here's the key. But anyone who comes in contact with this person is clean. And the rabbis proceed to decree that even such as he is defiled. Okay, in the scripture it never says that you can that you can uh, receive a uh, that you can transmit a level of tameh to be unclean after you touch a corpse. Uh, remember we talked about being nidah, the normal menstruation cycle. That a woman that a, that anyone that touches a woman who is nidah during this time, during her time actually becomes unclean till evening. So that's transmitted. But here, in the biblical ordinances regarding touching a corpse, there is no mention of transmitting of uncleanness. Uh, only the person who touches the dead body, they become unclean. Uh, so that, that's what scripture says. But listen, this is what the Talmud says. That uh, then Yossi ben Yoser 
proceeded to reestablish the law in its biblical form, but the defilement of a person who comes in contact with one who has touched the corpse is likewise biblically is likewise a biblical ordinance, for it is written, and who and whatsoever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. The rabbis declared in the presence of Rabbah on the authority of Zutra, son of Nachman, who said in the name of Rabbi Nachman, this is the way the Talmud talks, uh, according to the scriptures, if a person touches another while the latter is in contact with the corpse, he too is defiled for seven days. But if he touches him when there is not this contact, then he is only defiled until evening. Uh, scripture doesn't say that either. But notice what they're doing. They're saying, okay, to what level of contagiousness or transmission do we have? This is the highest level of Tameh, to touch a, touch a corpse. Can it be transmitted? If you touch a person while they're touching a corpse, is it transmitted in? They say yes. Uh, in other words, they're saying that we know what scripture says, but we're adding a level above that. We're adding a, a fence around that instruction just to make sure that this high degree, this high degree of Tameh is not, is not ever seen in the presence of the temple. So, And they go on and on through, through this 36 7b in uh, Tractate of Odazera, talking about the contact and, and the level of transmission or contagiousness regarding uh, regarding um, Tameh. Here's something in uh, Berkot uh, 54a. Bet Shammai used to say, our rabbis taught Bet Shammai say, say taught Bet Shammai say that a washing of the hands precedes the filling of a cup. And this is talking about uh, basically the washing of hands in a ritual manner as you see in cups with two hands, two handles on it. This is what it's talking about, ritual, ritual hand washing before eating bread. Um, of course, the Torah never commands the, the ritual washing of hands before eating bread. This is a very important point for uh, Pharisaic Judaism in, in the days before, uh, before the first century and the first century. In fact, you see it, Yeshua himself addresses this issue in the book of Matthew talking about that it is never commanded to wash your hands. But remember, they're taking these commandments of Tameh and Tahor, and they're putting fences around them, and then there's fences around the fences. So that's what it's talking about. For for should you say that the filling of the cup comes first, there is a danger lest liquid on the back of the cup will be rendered unclean through one's hands. In other words, should the cup be clean first or the hands be clean first? Because what can make what unclean, right? Lest liquid on the back of the cup should be rendered unclean through one's hands and it in turn render the cup unclean. But would not the hands make the cup, uh, cup itself unclean? Hands receiving unclean, uncleanliness in second degree, this is degrees of... And that which has received uncleanness in the secondary cannot pass on the uncleanness to the third degree. In the case of a non-sacred thing, says, uh, save through liquids. That's Shammai's point. In other words, uh, liquids, liquids can transmit Tameh between things. Whereas uh, second and third degree may not be able to transmit Tameh through non-sacred things. Anytime temple instruments were involved, there was this issue. But non-sacred things, people were thinking they were picking up a, they pick up a spoon, and if someone had been tamei when they touched the spoon, now they've transmitted the tamei to that spoon. Well, scripture never deals with that. This is these are instructions, these are these are teachings, these are uh, commandments of men made to uh, to to basically uh, raise the level of ritual purity. But but. Uh, that Hallel actually said something different. No, 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 no. It says the cup first is filled and then the hands are washed. Uh, for if you say the hands are washed first, there's danger lest the liquid on the hands should become unclean to the cup and should in turn make the hands unclean. But would not the cup make the hands themselves unclean? And he makes the point now, a vessel does not make a man unclean. Well, Yeshua would agree with that, certainly. Uh, he says uh, what, it's not what puts, one puts into it, his body that makes him unclean, but what comes out. And his uh, point there in Matthew chapter 15 deals with this uh, again. Washing the hands before you eat, that's not what... That's not what renders you unclean. The object doesn't make unclean. It's what comes inside the heart going out makes one unclean. He's, of course, not saying that you can eat unclean food. He's just saying you can't eat food that is to clean, such as bread, and, cre- and make it unclean through some action. Uh, uh, an example would be eating, eating bread not wa- without, without washing one's hands in both Bet Halil and Bet Shammai, these two branches of Pharisaic Judaism, both would say, if you eat bread without washing your hands, you eat, you eat basically uncleanness. That your hands, not clean, which may or may, or may not be, it has nothing to do with washing, right? It has nothing to do with ritual purity in this regard. Uh, if you touched a corpse, then yes, you would be unclean. Does that render bread unclean? The answer is no. 
uh, a corpse in contact with bread. That would render it unclean. But it can't be transmitted from one to the other. And in this case, uh, this is the, the whole point in Berchot uh, 54a is, is, well, look, uh, you can't eat bread without washing. And should you wash your hands first or the cup first? I don't know. And, uh, uh, but on the one hand, Bethel does say one thing true. A vessel does not make a man unclean. Here's another one from Shabbat 38, uh, 138b. And by the way, there's just many, many, many places in the Talmud where it, where it deals with this issue. And these, so these are, but some of these are, uh, don't misunderstand, just because uh, there, there may be, uh, there may be uh, an overreaction uh, to what is Tamer Tahor. These are built on biblical commands, even though these are man-made commands that follow on and, and man, man-made prohibitions, man-made understandings. Uh, the Bible does say that certain things are Tamer, and, and uh, that before we approach God in his tabernacle or in the temple, we must be in a state of tahor. Um, but this is Shabbat 138b. Uh, uh, it says a woman is destined, and they're talking about uh, going throughout the world and, and, and uh, many things going to and fro, and, there's, and uh, uh, basically saying the Lord God that he'll that send a famine in the land, not just a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but a hearing of the word of the Lord. And it said they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east and south and they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. And here's the rabbis commenting on that scripture. A woman is destined to take a loaf of uh, taruma, that is bread that was, uh, or, or, uh, or, or grain that was offered uh, as a, as a, uh, in an offering in the temple. Take a loaf of taruma and go about in the synagogues and academies to know whether it is unclean or clean. And none will know whether it is unclean or unclean. But that is explicitly stated. All food which may be eaten... Uh, Rather, t- to know whether it is the first degree or the second degree of uncleanness, and none will know. First degree or second degree of uncleanness with regard to bread? Is it contagious? Can, you, can it make you unclean? Yeshua said no. Uh, the, t- the Torah says no. So these are instructions. Uh, these are rabbinic instructions, rabbinic rules and protocols that are added on top of it. Now again, bringing in this picture of, of, uh, of the Gentiles who, who uh, maybe were not participating in the worship of God, not familiar with the Torah's instructions with regard to those things that were clean and unclean. And you can see that, first of all, there's a problem with God's instructions. God's instructions tell us there's a real issue. Add to that this additional layer of instructions, these actually huge layer of instructions, uh, these rabbinic rules uh, that came on and followed on, going beyond what Scripture said. Maybe for very good reasons. Maybe for very good uh, motivation. However, they were additional rules, not what Scripture said. Now you can see it becomes very, very difficult. Very difficult for us to determine, um, in fact, whether, uh, whether Gentiles are clean or unclean. You can see where contact with Gentiles is a real problem for the Judaism of the time before the first century and the first century. Uh, Gentiles led us into idolatry. Uh, Gentiles, uh, you, you don't know where they've been, what they've touched. Uh, even beyond the Torah's instructions, why they might be transmitting second and third degree of, uh, of Tameh. We might contract it and take it into the, into the temple environment. So you can see that even beyond God's instructions, it's an issue and it's a difficulty. Um, let's, let's look at what the Bible says about all these things. We've kind of laid out a historical look at this. Let's look at how the Bible uh, relates to these things and, and the Gentile problem. Go to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. And while we're looking at this, just want to remind everybody, uh, one of my, one of my uh, you know, I, I hesitate to, to talk about a Gentile problem uh, with, for fear that somehow people might misinterpret that we're talking about uh, the, uh, ethnic Gentiles being a problem. And certainly God is not a, a respecter of persons with regard to ethnicity, uh, that he has extended his, his grace to all people through his Messiah, Yeshua. What we need to understand is that we're talking about, we're talking about as Paul would call it, former Gentiles, the pagan nature of being Gentile. Uh, the vast majority of my ancestors are Gentiles, so I would include myself in this group of being uh, having a Gentile ethnicity. So this is not in any way meant to be uh, uh, demeaning of those of Gentile ethnicity um, or in any way uh, uh, negating uh, 
the uh, the real problems among uh, some people of Jewish uh, ethnicity. This is simply a looking at the scriptures with regard to uh, the problem that Gentiles pose to the people of God and their influences. Go to Exodus chapter 23, verse 27. Exodus 23, verse 27 says, I will send my fear, and we'll be reading from uh, verse 27 to verse 33. I will send my fear before you and cause, God is speaking, and cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you, and I will send hornets before you. He's speaking to them before they go into the land, how he's going to drive out the people in, 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 uh, in the land. And I will send hornets before you, which you shall drive out the, the Hittite, excuse me, the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you will inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea from the from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Here he says there shouldn't even be dwelling in, their, in, in your land. Uh, who's it speaking about? Go to Exodus chapter 34, Verse 10. Exodus 34, 10, and I'll read through verse uh, 17. Exodus 34, 10 through 17. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before you, uh, God speaking again, before all your people I will do mar- marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. You among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Uh, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot, and, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat his sacrifice, eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot and their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. These are clear instructions about uh, Gentile idolatry and how that can corrupt, how it can corrupt the people of God through their influences. Uh, talk about specifically about worshiping and even participating in idolatry by eating of an offering that had been offered to an idol. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 30. Deuteronomy 12, 30. Which says, Take heed for yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them. Speaking about... uh, Actually, go to verse 29. We'll include all this. When the Lord your God cuts you off from before you... When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you should not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. This idea of idolatry uh, and, and its corrupting influence is God is giving clear instructions that as they go and dispossess uh, these, these pagan people of the land itself, and as they push them out, they're not to learn their ways, their idolatry, because it would le- lead Israel astray. It would be a direct disobedience to the commandment of God. Go to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, and uh, we'll start in verse 11 and read through verse 13. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else, if, you in, if indeed you do, go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go in to them, and they to you. 
Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on, the, on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Here we talk about how if they, if they in fact did turn back, and as we know in Deuteronomy, they're said that they would turn back to these nations and to the idolatry, that God would use the very nations, the very Gentile nations, uh, to in fact chastise them. Go to Psalm 106, verse 33. Psalm 106, verse 33, and we'll read through verse 40. Here's what it says. Uh, because they rebelled, speaking of Israel, they rebelled against his spirit so that he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan's, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his own inheritance. This is what happens. Um, uh, verse 41, continue, uh, actually I told you through verse 40, continue to verse 41. And he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. This is exactly what happened. God turned them over to the Gentiles. We saw in, this, in, in the Assyrian captivity uh, of the northern tribes, and in the southern tribes, the Babylonian captivity. And later on, we see uh, Greece and Rome. Uh, later on, with the dispersion, Israel cast throughout all the nations. God uh, is is taking them and saying, "You you sh- you you wanted you wanted the the uh, the things of the Gentiles. I'll place you in the lands of the Gentiles. I'll let you suffer under the hand of the Gentiles." The Gentiles were used to chastise Israel. Um, Boy, this is strong. This is a strong indication we shouldn't have anything to do. Is what is if you're an Israelite thinking back then? It's like how can we, boy, how can we stay away from all these Israelites? Go to Leviticus chapter uh, 22, 22. Leviticus chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-five. Leviticus two twenty-two twenty-five says, "Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of." These as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them, and and defects and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. This word foreigner here is the word nekar. It's not the word ger, as we often see with stranger, as it's translated, or sojourner in the, in the Torah. This is a foreigner. What is a foreigner? Go to uh, Ezekiel chapter twenty-two, twenty-six, and uh, we'll start in. Actually, we'll just read verse 26. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, as we're going to look at in the next few weeks, a lot of the things coming, uh, coming into uh, these uh, these extra biblical rules uh, of purity um, and ab- about Gentiles actually come from uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of them come from readings uh, and and sometimes misreadings of the prophets, particularly Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26 says. Her priests, speaking of, of uh, Israel, her priests have violated my law, my Torah, and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy. Here's, here's those words, Kadesh and Chol, between what is holy and what is not holy, or holy and what is profane or common. Nor have they made the difference between clean, unclean and clean, Tameh and Tahor. And they have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. Here was the job, and here's the role of, of the priesthood, was to, in fact, teach the difference between what is holy and unholy, what is holy and what is common, what is uh, clean, or what is uh, uh, tahor, and what is tameh, what is unclean, or ritually impure. Uh, that was one of the jobs of the priesthood. Um, go to Ezekiel chapter 44. Now, uh, that was the charge that God had against uh, against the priesthood, uh, 
in Ezekiel chapter 22. Now Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 7, and we'll read through verse 9. Ezekiel 44, 7 through 9 says, Now when you brought in foreigners, and that again is the word nakar, not, not the word, or, or, not the word uh, gear, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary, to defile at my house. And when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, then they broke my covenant because all your abominations. Uh, foreigners actually participating in temple worship is what he's saying here. And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Thus says the Lord God, no foreigner, again, nakar, uncircumcised in heart, nor uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. So here's foreigner among the children of Israel. Who are these foreigners? Who, who, uh, and how are they different uh, from the sojourner, uh, the, the one who's, who's uh, um, living and worshiping uh, among the Jewish people? Is it talking about uh, anyone of Gentile, anyone of Gentile uh, heritage or ethnicity? Is it is this an exclusion of all non-Jews? Is that what we're reading about? That's not possible. Go to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 13, we'll read through verse 16. And this is just one of many places that the Torah, because the Torah has many instructions regarding, regarding those who are non, uh, non-Jewish or those who have no, no ethnicity uh, from uh, Jacob. Uh, or the tri- or the descendants of Jacob. Numbers chapter 15, uh, verse, um, verse 13. Uh, All who are native-born shall do these things in this manner, in presenting an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And uh, like I said, this is, this is well, we're going to see a contrast and maybe not a contrast with regard to those who are of, 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 Native-born, that is, who are who are uh, ethnically, uh, who are genetically descendants of Jacob, uh, there to prescribe, there to do all these things, manner presenting an aroma by, made by fire. Now it says, verse fourteen: and If a stranger, and that is the word gear, if a stranger dwells with you, uh, uh, or as what as we're going to come to find the uh, the rabbinic phrase used here is gear uh, toshav. To talk about here a stranger who dwells with you, and if a stranger dwells with you, <coughs> or whoever is among you throughout your generations, and would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so he shall do. So here we here we read about. Uh, remember, we read in 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 uh, Ezekiel forty four. You let foreigners into the temple and corrupted it. Now we read here in Numbers chapter 15, not, in fact, not a prohibition against it at all. Uh, in fact, the opposite. One, if, can, can, that a, one who is a stranger who dwells among you, uh, that he should offer his offering in the sw- same way, in the same way as one who is native born. Verse 15, one ordinance shall be of the assembly and for the stranger, the gear, who dwells with you, gear toshav, an ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before me. This is a, uh, this is a permanent injunction. Continuing in verse, uh, continuing in verse 16. What, uh, one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Uh, the gear, the sojourner, the stranger who dwells with you. Who are these strangers? Who are these uh, People who are non-Jewish. Uh, who are these people? These, uh, as Paul would call them, former Gentiles. How are they included? Yet the foreigner, even the foreigner who dwells or who who lives in your land, as it says in Ezekiel chapter forty-four, they're not to be included. What's the difference between them? And we're going to look at that as we as we go deeply uh, in, into these matters. We're going to look at, at the difference between those those two. Uh, just just so that you know, we'll talk about it in depth. But just so that you know, and so that you can get an idea here, if you're reading in a stone chumash, or if you're reading in a uh, um, a uh, anything that might use use the JPS translation, the earlier translation, even uh, possibly um, uh, the complete Jewish Bible. Um, you might find in some of these places where I've read the word stranger or stranger who dwells among you, you might find the word proselyte. And uh, we're going to discuss in depth why that is, why that has been translated proselyte. There is, 
there is in fact uh, a extremely good uh, explanation as to why the translators felt the need to put the word proselyte in there. And we also find that coming from that, there are some profound, profound misunderstandings regarding not only the word proselyte, but also how it is that one becomes attached to the people of God, uh, how one becomes a part of the people of God, the covenant community. And uh, it's one of the main, uh, main thrusts of Paul's writing in Galatians. And uh, because of that, we're going we're gonna to look at this in depth with regard to this word proselyte. But for now, know that some of your translations may actually use that word proselyte. Uh, don't let it confuse you. Don't, uh, don't assume that that means someone who has gone through ritual conversion because, as we're going to see, that's not what the word means. Go to, um, uh, go, go to uh, Malachi chapter 3. You know, th- this idea that Gentiles were included, okay, so there were a few here and they showed up and they, they, they came in, uh, they participated in the offerings, okay, so that's not a big problem. We, kinda keep, we can keep our eye on them. There's only a few of them. Maybe that's what we're thinking when we look at this. Well, you know, the Jewish people only had, if they only had to keep an eye on a few of them, maybe it wasn't so big a deal. It was when we had this massive influx that, in fact, they caused a problem. And, in fact... That's exactly the way the Judaism looked at it. It's, there's too many. We can't keep track of what's going on. We need to, we need to somehow uh, find a solution so that we're not drawn into assimilation because it's when they all come at us, when they, they live in nations next to us and we see them in, in, in their great numbers that, in fact, that uh, we, we have this tendency to be uh, enamored uh, by their ways and uh, to, be assimil- to assimilate even their idolatry. Malachi chapter 4 excuse me, chapter 3, verse 4, and I'll read through verse 5. Um, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in days of old and in former years. Uh, this is, as we're going to see, this is actually, uh, um, <laughs> this is uh, what part of the blessing of the Shemona Esrei, the Amidah prayers, uh, pray three times daily, um, that, that the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in days of old and in former years. And uh, unfortunately, Usually in, in, those, in those benedictions, uh, it doesn't continue. Uh, li- listen to what it says. And I will come near you, verse 5, and I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against idolaters, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien. Uh, and this is, uh, this is a, uh, um, a gear. Turn away an alien, a sojourner. Uh, so, <laughs> here's, a, here's an injunction not. Uh, uh, let me continue reading. Because they, did not, they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, those who would turn away a sojourner are those who do not fear the Lord of hosts. Um, that's, that's, that's an indictment. Uh, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, yes, uh, those who are non-Jewish can can participate. It's another thing uh, to say no one can keep and come near. Stay away. You're not you're not a part of this. You're you're to be forbidden. You are um, you're not to be included in the very offerings of the Lord in His tabernacle in His temple. Uh, and uh, again, that was the word gear, um, not to be confused with the word nekar, although. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes they are used interchangeably. You can't always follow the use of the word gear and say it's always something positive because sometimes it's not. Um, so we see there is, there is not an, a, a exclusion of all non-Jews. There's something else at work here and we're going to get deeply into it as we continue our study, as we look deeper into these things. Uh, for now, know that, that uh, uh, in, in looking at these things that, that in fact the Gentiles in their massive numbers, coming particularly from uh, very, uh, very I- idolatrous backgrounds, uh, specifically coming out of the Greek and the Roman uh, uh, cultures uh, in the first century, coming into Judaism, uh, just all manner of, of idolatry, uh, the multiplicity of polytheism, I mean, the multiplicity of idols, the multiplicity of the, of the abhorrent practices, uh, the confusion with regard to offerings and sacrifices, uh, idolatrous ones versus uh, those were, that were commanded by God. Uh, these are real problems that faced, 
first century and before Judaism. This this real problem of these people coming in and we we they may they may be coming in and they may actually be be worshiping in our temple, uh, uh, the temple of God, in a state that's not that's not holy, thereby corrupting it. Uh, they they're they're coming in and they're teaching us. Uh, possibly uh, philosophies that have their origins in idolatry and in paganism. These are real problems that faced first century Judaism. And because of that, it, 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 this, this problem was, was presented and there needed to be a solution. There needed to be a solution. Uh, what could the solution be? Uh, was it to be left? Uh, could we simply... Uh, uh, go back and read in the Torah and find these differences between a ger toshav, a ger, or as it sometimes pre- translated in English, a proselyte and a foreigner. Could we find the difference between that? Maybe that'll tell us which which of these to include and which not to. And it wasn't so easy looking at those. As we said, these words are oftentimes uni- interchangeably. We also saw this this tremendous uh, judgment that God brought on on Israel because of their their uh, affection with the ways of the Gentiles. Uh, there's this, this real movement, this real move in Judaism uh, in these years before the first century then to disaffect themselves, to despise all things Gentile, uh, to have nothing to do with Gentiles and those things that might possibly corrupt them or cause them to assimilate those philosophies and uh, pagan practices. Um, the very problems of these massive, that these massive number of Gentiles brought with them invited actions that were uh, of, of, a, of a nature that might seem to be self-preservation for Judaism. There was this need to preserve Judaism. We saw it with the time of the Maccabees. We see it again in the, in the first century. And with, the, with the, uh, uh, the, time, the time in the first century being under this tremendous Roman domination that was not thrown off in the same way that the Maccabees had been able to throw off the Greek, uh, the Greek domination, that was not thrown off, it added to this, uh, this mixture a political hatred, a political despising of all things that related to Gentiles. It, was a, it, was a, it infused all of, of the culture in the land at that time. Here's the problem. God ordained that Israel should be a light to the Gentiles. God established that Israel would be his means, his servant, to bring all peoples to himself. And yet, it was some of those very people, the Gentiles, the nations, that God was declaring himself to through Israel, that in fact were drawing Israel away. Instead of Israel drawing the nations to God, Gentiles were drawing Jewish people, Israel, away from God into paganism. Uh, God demanded that Israel should be a light to the Gentiles. And yet Gentiles were a real threat to Israel because they led them astray and polluted holy things. How could these two competing truths or seemingly competing truths be resolved? How can this, uh, this division be made whole? How can we possibly resolve this? And as we're going to look in our study in the next, uh, in the next few weeks, Judaism came, with, came up with some very, uh, some very dramatic innovations in order to resolve this problem, this Gentile problem. Let's close in prayer. And our prayer focus uh, uh, is, from the, uh, is from the Shemone Esrei, uh, from what I mentioned. Um, uh, from, as a quote from Malachi chapter 3 verse 4 it's prayed three times daily uh, and these are in fact the last uh, the last part of the uh, closing benediction of the Shemona Esrei may it be your will Lord our God and God of our forefathers that the holy temple be rebuilt speedily in our days grant us our share in your Torah that we may serve you there with reverences in days of old and in former years then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasing to the Lord is in days of old and in former years our Father and our King, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have brought us near to you. Father, as we saw in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, your great work on our behalf through Messiah. Father, that he was able to join us to you in ways that we could never be joined to you by, by ritual conversion or by some other means or by ethnicity, by being born uh, 
a descendant of Jacob. None of these things could bring us near to you, Father, except by your marvelous grace we would have no hope. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have drawn all peoples to yourself through your servant, Yeshua, through your servant, Israel, Father, that Israel has indeed, throughout its history, even though it had days that were dark and it, drew, and it was drawn into idolatry itself, that Israel has still and still maintains a testimony, a statement that there is a God of creation. He has created all and that Israel is his chosen people. Father, we thank you that you have honored the promises to our fathers Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Father, we thank you that you continue to draw us to you. That even those who are not of, of the direct line of, of, uh, of Jacob, Father, even those who cannot claim their father as Jacob, Lord, that you have allowed us by the work of Messiah to call Abraham our father, and that we are one people, not two. Father, we thank you that you have done this. We thank you that you have called us into this uh, marvelous kingdom. And Lord, we ask that as we, uh, as we continue to deal with these difficult issues in preparation for looking at the epistle of Galatians, that we not lose sight of the main thrust of what Paul was trying to say in, in conveying to you your deep and abiding a desire that your people be one. Lord, that we not have division between us. That we not have two standards, but that we have one standard of righteousness. Father, that we not have two ways of gaining access to you, but one way. Only through your Son, Yeshua. Father, we thank you uh, that you have revealed this to your servant, Paul. And Father, we thank you as you've you are going to be revealing it to us uh, as we study your word. Help us to set aside those things that will distract us, those things that will offend us, those things that will turn us away from your word. Help us to set aside our internal and preconceived ideas, Father, of what you, what you are saying. Teach us from your word. Saturate us with your, uh, with your truth, we pray. All these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.